The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 61, Learning the Basic Shortcut Benefits from Using Text Expander. My conversation with former Text Expander evangelist, Jeff Gamut. Jeff is a technology blogger, podcaster, author, and public speaker. Jeff was the Mac Observer's managing editor and the text expander evangelist for Smile. Currently, he writes and hosts webinars for several companies. He has presented at Macworld Expo, MacStock, RSA Conference, several World Comp events, along with many other conferences. You can find him on several podcasts such as The Mac Show, The Big Show, Mac Voices, Mac OS Ken, In Touch with iOS, and more. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a quick shout out before we start. Are you enjoying the TechSavvyLayer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Also, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks. And again, enjoy. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It is so awesome to be here. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, please tell us, what is your current tech setup? My current tech setup is a 2023 14-inch MacBook Pro M2 processor, which is a very Ooh. nice little upgrade. Oh, I have to interject here. So I've got the M1. Did you have the M1 before you got the M2? No, I moved from an Intel Mac okay. To, okay. straight to the M2 Pro. So I had the M1, and when I got it, it was like rockets. I assume you've got the same noticeable difference between the two. Oh, yeah. It's surprising. And uh, it's easy to get used to and appreciate the speed. What's taking more time, I'm still working through this one, is the fact that my my computer doesn't make sound anymore. It doesn't sound like a jet engine on the desk. Do you ever hear it cooling? Ever hear the fans running, say when you're doing a lot of processing at one point. I mean, even when you go to the real extreme moments. I have never heard my fans kick on. For all I know, Apple forgot to put them in. I mean, that's how quiet this machine is. Excellent, excellent. I love my M1 and I've made no regrets. And quite frankly, no offense, I don't see the need to jump to the M2 from the M1. But if you have an Intel-based Mac, clearly you want to get either the M1 or the M2 now. It will make a difference in your workflow. Yeah, I'm with you. Yep. I don't know if you've heard, but Mac sales have been down when it comes to the M2 because most people are happy with the M1. Yeah, which, I mean, that's from a consumer standpoint, totally makes sense. So I've got that MacBook Pro, my display. I went curved a long time ago. So I have an HP Z34C curved display on my desk. And people ask me about my keyboard a lot. I guess that's one of the circles that, that I'm in. So I'm using the Keychron E2 mechanical keyboard. It's a wired keyboard. Okay. And I love that keyboard because it was inexpensive for a keyboard and still gives me all the flexibility of being able to choose my own switches and and keys. And it's just a wonderfully versatile keyboard. 
I've recently learned that there's a whole world of mechanical keyboards where people yes. like to switch the keycaps, the switches. It just amazes me. I mean, I learned how to type on an electric typewriter and we had still had to kind of bang down a bit. And I don't know, I just like these flat, short keyboards. Like I've got the touch ID that allows you to bypass security and oh, sure. you know, confirm security. And I tell you, that fingerprint, I just love it because it makes installing things so much quicker and paying for things so much easier online. And I know it's secure with the authorization that Mac has with all of its stuff. And I'm still amazed at how much people are really into their keyboards like you're talking about. I've had some friends ask me about this because I've been doing some interviews about this. And it's just amazing what a whole world that is. Yes, it is a world that you can nerd out in as much as you want. And so tell us what else? Let's see. Okay. So I'm old school with my pointing device. I use a Kensington Orbit trackball. Oh, wow. I remember those. I'm afraid that eventually Kensington will stop making them. So the last, I use them until they wear out. And okay. then I just get another one. So the last time I wore one out, I bought two. And, and the second one is tucked away in my closet so that if by chance, when this one dies, essentially, mm -hmm. and it takes a long time, but if it, when it eventually dies, if they have stopped making my favorite pointing device, then I've got a spare in the closet still in the box. I just recently interviewed Annette Chody for episode 60. And she was talking about her favorite keyboard is, I think it was from Microsoft. And she loved it so much that she bought like like four or five of them. She bought the Microsoft ergonomic keyboard. That's I think you're right. That's what people fall in love with. I think you're right. And she bought so many of them because she's afraid that one day, one, her, her keyboard may break. And two, like they'll stop making them. So she bought, got them in the closet. I was like, I'm just, I'm amazed that people do that, but I've been pleased going on. Because I do it. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Fair, But you didn't do it with the trackball. You got to do it with the trackball too. Your Kensington no, mouse. No, that's what's in the box, in the closet, the Kensington Orbit trackball. Oh, but how many do you have? Just one? Or do you have like three, four or five? Okay, that's fair. I only have <laughs> one in the closet. Yeah. So I guess I need to step up my game and and get another one or two in the closet be a true diehard fan right yeah <laughs> but tell um, us what else let's see okay so i love my audio so i have a set of audio engine a5 plus mm -hmm. speakers here on my desk okay and and because i'm into my audio i'm running a dac and and What's for people DAC? that don't know it's digital to analog converter so when you get sound out of your computer it's digital but okay. it needs to become not digital for your mm -hmm. speakers. Right. And that's what a DAC does. So there's one built into your computer. There's one built right. into your smartphone. But you can get better. So you can get higher quality. So you get better audio quality overall. You can play like high-res audio files and take full advantage of all of what those audio files can have. So I have an external DAC. And, and I'm going to tell you the name, but I'm prefacing this with, I am not swearing. I have the shit Modi 3 plus stack and that's okay. S-C-H-I-T and, and, and it's fantastic. So the audio quality that I get out of my speakers is substantially better than what I can get if the auto is coming just straight from the computer to the speakers. Could you please briefly describe how it increases the quality or the sound, if that makes sure. any sense? Sure. Okay. So... There, there's a little chip in your computer 
And what it's doing is processing that that digital so that it becomes the, the audio you ultimately hear. There are different quality levels of those chips and and you have different bit rates and bit depth that they can handle. So like like in my computer, it's 48k is what it is what it can do. Right. And older computers, it'll be like 24k. And so with this DAC that I have, I can go up to over 300k, which is ridiculous because there's no way that our brains can perceive any of that. But it lets me go substantially higher for that for the quality of the audio files than my computer itself can can handle. And then the way it's actually processing that data, it's it's giving you better conversion, if you will, of the digital to the analog. So it'd be like I'll compare it to a television for you. So let's say you have that signal coming into your television, and you can have like a, a cheap hundred dollar TV that you picked up at the big box store and the image looks fine. Or you can go to, to a specialty store where you get a television that has much higher overall quality and it takes that data and processes it. So you get a better image and it has mm -hmm. the better screen anyhow. So when you compare that, that basic television to the high end television, the video that you're seeing is going to look much better on the high end television. Okay. I got it. It's the same sort of thing with sound. Just you can have fine sound or you can have really good sound. That's something to consider, especially since more and more of us are watching movies and listening to music on our computers and, and laptops. Huh. I'll have to consider that. But uh, but please continue. Anything else? Oh, we could go on all day. Since my office is also my recording studio. Right, right. Like right now I'm using a Rode Podcaster microphone. Okay. When I'm doing video work, for most shows, I don't need a camera that does higher resolution than the Logitech C920. So that's still what I'm using for video stuff. Is that a 4K or or is that a 1081 DPI? Th this Yeah, this is a 1080p camera, not 4K. And why do you limit your video to the 1081? The reason that I'm doing that is because for the types of shows that I'm doing, there will be no additional value in the okay. the higher resolution video that I would be capturing because they're not going to be outputting anything higher than 1080p. And in many cases, it's a live show. Right. And so you don't want to burden whoever is doing the show with more data than they really need to have. Well, you know, going back to your analogy about sounds, you can buy either the low end at the big box store and get solid, decent quality versus going to the specialty store and getting something with a little something extra. And one of the things I noticed was like when I had like a 720, I can't remember the right terminology for the TV, but this was before flat screens and 1K came out. And I put in like for the cable company, I would watch channels in HD, which mm -hmm. was a signal stronger and better than say the 720 DPI. And I could tell a difference watching those channels on a, on a lesser fine TV, if you will, in the quality of the picture. So I was, so I was kind of wondering like if maybe even though the person's only going to get it in one, one K, if you can use that term versus me sending it out in 4k, cause I'm using a Logitech Brio right now. And even though it's not going, it's not the right size, if you will, for the lower quality 
videos, but still the user may see something a little bit better in what they're observing. Does that make sense? Uh, that makes sense. Sure. I mean, the more data you can send, regardless right. of what can ultimately be processed out, I mean, to a degree, the better off you are. Gotcha. And, and yeah, the Brio that you're using, that's a really nice camera. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. What is the utility you find in having a widescreen monitor, say, versus maybe three different monitors on your desktop? For me, this is about having all of that screen real estate, but having it in a single focused point. So for the screen that I have, HP did this, this incredible engineering with it where they figured out what is exactly the right curve so that when I look at the center of my screen versus look at the edges, the focal distance doesn't change. Okay, I understand and, that. And so that's a big thing for me because I spend so much time in front of my display. It also, for me, is more efficient because I don't have to fill up space on my desk or in front of me with additional display arms to, to have these displays kind of stretched way out. That makes sense. And, and I have found that for me, working from a single display, having been someone that was a multi-display person previously, it's more efficient for me. And I, I've heard a lot about that too, how keeping yeah. your eyes focused just on the one screen can help you stay a little bit more focused on the work that you're doing. I personally, I'm a three-screen monitor setup. It's just the way my mind works because I can separate things out and keep them also kind of in the same sense, consistent. So like if I'm working on a Word document, but need to do some research online, but keep an eye on my email, I can go back and forth between the two. And then when I need to go over, say to the third, I can just easily do that in my mind at least. But thing is, as I mentioned earlier, what works best for you is what works best for you. But what mm -hmm. works best for me may not necessarily work what's best for you. So as I say, to each their own. And I just always like hearing from other people who have a different setup. That being said, do you find the quality of the screen, say, not as good as some of the more comparable monitors that are not widescreen like yours or curved? It comes down to doing your research and finding the quality display. So in my case, no. And as a matter of fact, when I bought this display, it wasn't even offered a, as a 4K display. So it's just, the resolution is just a little under 4K. Okay. And it doesn't matter because the image quality is more than good enough for what I need. And as I say that, I think it sounds a little bit like, like I was compromising with image quality, but no, it's a really good image. And it's so good that when I started looking at 4K monitors as an alternative, I realized this actually does everything that I need. There's no point in replacing this display with something else just for the sake of saying I have 4K when I already have a really good image. Well, let me ask you this. So do you mostly use your monitor, your screen for video audio or for reading and writing? Well, my career is based on writing. So a substantial amount of my time is spent looking at the screen and looking at text, whether I'm writing it or reading it. But I'm podcasting multiple times every week. So there's a lot of video that's happening on my screen as well. See, the reason why I ask is I got the XDR within the last six months because I knew I was going to be doing more content creation for the podcast and for the blog and also doing some vlogging. 
And I love it. It's a gorgeous display. And I've got my four, two 4Ks flanking me left and right. They're LGs. They're solid machines. But I'm looking at a, basically a 6K monitor. And as I'm in my early 50s, it's just a little bit easier to read. And I could see where an update to a 5K or if I have an extra twelve thousand dollars, I'll get two more XTRs. But you know, sure. like we have like we have extra, <laughs> and I'd be a happy camper. So that's kind of why I was asking about the curved monitor as to doing a lot of reading. You're doing a lot of writing, and it's just amazing how it makes such a huge leap in the quality of your screen, but it makes a minor yet significant difference in the text you're reading. Hopefully, I'm I get sense. what you're saying. So. When I'm working away from my main desk, I'll be working using the display that's built into my laptop, okay. which is significantly higher resolution than this HP Z34C. And gotcha. I mean, yes, I can see the difference in the text, mm -hmm. but in many cases, it's not a difference that is significant enough for me to think, wow. I don't have clear, crisp text on my big display. I better replace it. If that were the case, this display would have been gone like within a week after me getting the new laptop. Gotcha. I understand what you're saying. And like I said, to each their own, I, my eyes seem to be just going a little bit to the degree that's just kind of beginning to bother me. And who knows, maybe one day I'll have a nice settlement and... That'll be the case, and I'll be getting a couple more XDRs, and maybe they'll put them on sale or something. We both know Apple doesn't yeah, <laughs> put on sale that's... anything. But tell you what, let's get into the questions. Okay. For our first question, please tell us what is Text Expander and what are your top three favorite Text Expander snippets? All right. Text Expander is a it's like a productivity tool that I use as as part of my daily routine in writing for people. And what it does is it lets you take the things that are repetitive that involve you typing in some way and automates those things for you. So at its most basic level, it's it's like a keystroke expander. So you have an abbreviation, you type the abbreviation, and then that magically turns into like a full word. And at the other end of the extreme, you type in whatever that abbreviation is, now it starts automating all of these other things for you. So you can use it anywhere along that spectrum and, and get value out of it. It started initially as a tool for the Mac, and it has since expanded out so that there's a, an iPhone and iPad version, there's a Windows version, I think there's an Android version. I think since you're right I, on that. Yeah, since I'm not... In that ecosystem, I'm not 100% sure. So, well, then tell us what are your three favorite snippets? My three favorite snippets, this might sound mundane. However, the mundane is oftentimes, in a case like this, the most valuable. Right. Because it's the thing that you're just doing all the time. So the first snippet that I have on my list, it's my email signature. Yep. Do the same. And, and okay, so here's what I did with my email signature. Granted, knowing that every email application mm -hmm. lets you build your signatures right in the mm -hmm. application, for me, I, I don't want that. Because if I'm going to switch my email application, I don't want to have to change out all my signatures. Like right now, I'm using Apple's Mail. Right. If I could find something that did everything that I need better than Apple Mail, I would drop it in a heartbeat and move. But I haven't found that yet. But I'm ready right. for when it happens. So the, the signature snippet I made... It's universal. 
So I can use it for personal and business. Right. And I can choose which phone number it's going to show. I can choose what social media platforms it's going to list. It just, it has all this stuff built into it. So when I type my abbreviation, I then choose what I actually want to be in the signature for that specific email. And then what shows up is now this, I'll call it a customized version of my signature, but it's more personalized for that specific email. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Consider sharing this show with others. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your download feeds. If you're listening directly from our blog, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks again and enjoy. So, well, let me ask you, what is your, well, first of all, for the listener, what is a snippet? A snippet is the the thing that you're expanding. So you have your abbreviation and you type that. Let's say my abbreviation is it is like ABC. Okay. And when I type ABC, it it changes into whatever the snippet would be. So since it's ABC, maybe it's like like welcome to our new alphabet podcast. Right. So what is the snippet you use for your email? The snippet that I use for my email is mm-hmm. a combination of text that I've put into the snippet, and then it actually has a nested snippet. So uh, I have another what? snippet that all I do is put phone numbers in. Okay. But hold on, let's go. I'm going to go back a step. So what is the trigger phrase you use for your email? The trigger phrase that I use is comma D-S-I-G. Okay. So it's comma D-S-I-G. And can I guess that you use commas to start all of your snippets? You can guess that and you would be absolutely correct. I do something similar. Most of my snippets are usually start with a period and then whatever I want, but we'll get back to that in a minute. For my email, if I'm sending out my work email, it's always Michael at, and then it populates out into Eisenberg-LawOffice.com my email. If I'm doing it for the blog and the podcast, I type Michael DJ at, and then it will do the tech savvy lawyer dot page. And you mentioned phone a moment ago. How do you populate that? All right. So I have one snippet that's mm-hmm. my various phone numbers. And and that's because typically I, I want to choose a specific no, phone number in a specific instance. Okay. I have multiple snippets where I need to do this. So instead of having to go and add or change phone numbers across multiple snippets, I made the one that's just the phone numbers. And now, and if, if I, I do, you have a drop down where you can pick the one you want to populate. Yes. Okay. So we've talked about a snippet coming out with a phrase or an email. I type Michael at, and then my whole email, Michael at Eisenberg Law Office dash Law Office dot com mm-hmm. pops out. So. You have multiple phone numbers. And actually, I didn't even think of this myself because I do it a different way. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you have multiple phone numbers and you don't want to create five different snippets for five different phone numbers each. You're creating one snippet that gives you the option of five different phone numbers. Could you explain, please, how you do that? Sure. All right. So when you're making a snippet, you can put more than just text in there. And you can add things like pop-up menus and fill-in-the-blank fields, video buttons and for selections. And, and so what I did was I made a snippet that's just a pop-up menu. And that pop-up menu is populated with the phone numbers. So and, your phone number, your cell number, your fax number, your right. secretary's number, your someone else's number, et cetera. Right. The, I, I get the main line to the office. Right. 
Yeah. All, so your direct all of line. those are in there. Yep. For the listener's sake, you also have the ability to make one phone number, but your particular preference. Yes. So that if there's one number that you use a lot, that's the one that's going to be highlighted first, but you still have the option of choosing, say, the other four. Right. Yes. Yep. And, excellent. Uh, excellent. Yeah. So I've got all of those in that one snippet. And then in every other snippet that I've created where my phone number choices need to be an option for me, I just nested in the snippet that's just the pop-up menu of phone numbers. And so now whenever I invoke one of these other snippets, like in, in this case, my email signature, instead of just having everything, boom, drop into the email at the end, I get this window that pops up. Now in the window, I can choose which phone number if it's different from the default that I want. Right. And then I have checkboxes for other things that I may or may not want to show. So like social media handles. Right. And then after I've selected the phone number that I want, turned on or off various social medias, I just click OK. And then what I have chosen as part of the signature, that's what appears in the email. And I have something similar but not as complex as yours. Cause like for my law practice, I have a snippet. So if I'm like on a different email platform, like on Google mail for some reason, or if I'm filling out a form or responding to something like on an online platform, mm -hmm. I just type dot SAL short for salutation. And then my whole law firm salutation comes out with my name, my address, firm name, email, fax number, phone number, and not necessarily in that order. And then also a confidentiality clause and mm -hmm. a disclosure clause and a B green clause that will just automatically populate out and format for me with just the simple typing of those four characters, the period and the SAL. So if I heard you correctly, we have phone number, email, and salutation. So those are your top three favorite text expander snippets. Yes, that's good. Yeah. Was there one more you wanted to add in there? Did we skip one that one or two? Well, because sometimes I like to be prepared in case need to, I'm an overachiever sometimes. That's what it comes down to. Nothing so wrong with I, that. All right. So I have a bonus for you. Please. And, uh, and the bonus is that I have created a snippet that generates a script for me. One, one of the things I do with some of my clients is moderate webinars for them. And you need a script for what the moderator does. So okay. I've built all the elements of that script into a snippet, and then I have form elements in there so I can fill in the names of the companies and the people that are on the panels and that kind of stuff. And then when I click OK, I have this document that's generated with all of the appropriate stuff for this specific webinar that's built into all of the things that would be standard for the webinar. So I can show up for a webinar where someone says, we forgot to create the script for this event. And I can say, okay, who's in? Great. I've got their names. And what companies do we need? Great. I've got that. Do you have bios for me? Great. I'll copy and paste that in. Click OK. And then I say, I'm ready. And now they're sitting there like, holy crap, he just wrote a whole script for an hour-long webinar in 30 seconds. So for the listener's sake, and this is one of the great functions of Text Expander. So imagine that you have a Mad Libs game where it comes out with a, with a page, a story. It's all set up. And all you got to do is fill in the blanks of the names, the adjectives, the numbers, other important details into the boxes. 
and it allows you to create your own Mad Libs game, if you will, of mm-hmm. a particular situation every time you're going to have like a meeting with a client or if you say need to kick out an engagement letter or a common response that you might send to a client and or opposing counsel. And it basically you type the snippet, say in my case, or in your case, we'll say in your case, we'll say in your case, comma response, and it will pop up this window and allow you to fill in the blanks and then hit return. And it will automatically populate out into your email or onto a Word document so that you don't have to worry about going back and formatting everything or just simply finding the right file to mm-hmm. hit save as and make sure that you populate out correctly all the different because sometimes you forget one or you can't find it and it's just all there for you one nice little setting yes and so one of the reasons i love doing mm-hmm. it this way is because one of the things that that i've seen over the years that's really common for people is that when they have something like that which is like like some sort of document where a lot of it stays the same mm-hmm. like maybe some names some dates right. a topic whatever is going to change they'll have a word file And now they're going in and just looking through the word file for the things that they need to change. Right. And then they miss stuff. Right. And for someone like me, where I'm writing a script, Mm. maybe I can roll with it. But what if it's a document where you actually have to send that file to someone else? You don't want like another client's name in the middle of it or the wrong dates. Or is that like the social security or date of birth? or right. banking information. You don't want that. This way it helps prevent just a little extra layer of pre- prevention and protection to make sure that you don't inadvertently miss a box. Because quite frankly, if you miss the box with the text expander snippet, you're going to have a big blank and that's going to look obvious to you. So hopefully you'll catch it. Right. So let's move on to question number two. What are your top three favorite unusual snippets that people might not expect a program like Text Expander to do? I like that you came up with this question. I just have to let you know. Because this, for me, it's one of those things where I can say, oh, here's this really weird thing that I'm doing, but it's not weird after you realize, wait, that's a thing you can do. All right. Exactly. So exactly. first one, I get URLs all the time. Mm-hmm. I have the stub on them, all that extra tracking info and stuff yeah. that I actually don't need f- with the URL. So I can copy that URL and then use a snippet that analyzes what's on my clipboard finds where the stub begins and deletes all of that. And then it pays just what I need. And it's using JavaScript. So you can actually put code in a snippet. And as long as the snippet knows that it's supposed to be code, it's a setting you can choose when you create the snippet, then it knows that it needs to actually run the code. So in this case, it's JavaScript that looks for all the identifiers that indicate the beginning of, of where the stub would be. And then it just cuts everything from that point forward and leaves you with just the clean URL. Saves me so much time. So tell me, how does that work in the sense of I'm on a web page, I want to copy the web address, I hit control L that will take me and automatically select the web address. I hit command C normally to make a copy of it. So what I hit, what would I do next? Or how does that work? How's that workflow work for you? For me, once I have that whole URL copied, okay, then I know I'm pasting it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I go to wherever it is that I'm going to paste, click where that URL ultimately needs to go. Okay. Now I type my abbreviation. All that appears there is the clean URL. Gotcha. So 
I want to go back just a step. Is there, I have to guess that in a sense, in the more computer savvy area of the world, that what you're doing is not unusual. For that me, it's being, not unusual. But that being said, I'm guessing that there's going to be a clearinghouse somewhere of people who share their text expander snippets. Do you, do you have any suggestions? I would go to the text expander website. Okay. They have a whole shared area there. And so you can just go and find snippets and like whole groups of snippets that relate to whatever it is that you need. And then you can select them and then have them install into Text Expander on your computer. So they're just there. And then once you've got them, you can do with them as you please. You can like right. modify them and make, make them custom for you. Including making your own trigger for them. And yes, and make your own trigger for them too. Yep. So I got one. We need two more. Okay. So my next one is, I call it my invoice snippet. Okay. So when it's time for me to send an email invoice to my, my clients, while I can use my invoicing platform to do that whole process for me, I'm using Text Expander for that because I'm actually generating my invoice as a PDF because the, I have this whole workflow. So I want the physical file of the invoice. And so that just doesn't work with the automatic system that's built into mm -hmm. my, my invoicing system. So I generate my PDF. Now I go to my email application, put my cursor in the to field, mm -hmm. type the abbreviation for my invoicing, and it pops up with a form where I choose which client it is. Then And then I choose what type of project it is. Mm -hmm. If there's like a project code that goes along with where I've been writing, there's a field for that. And, and then there's a field where if it's for one of my clients' clients, because I do some writing for content creation agencies, right, right. then I can pick which of their clients it is as well. And, and then when I click OK, it starts in the to field fills in the email address, jumps mm -hmm. to the subject field, generates the the subject based on the everything else that I've already selected. And then it jumps into the, the message body field, fills in everything there, uh, puts the date for today, because today's mm -hmm. when I'm sending it, and, and drops the cursor right... Oh, and it also takes that email signature snippet that I use. Yeah embeds that in there. So now I also get to choose wh what info I want as part of the email signature. So when I finally click OK, it takes all of this stuff, yep. generates everything for me, leaves the cursor sitting right where I'm going to drop in that, uh, that PDF. And if I really wanted to, I could make some JavaScript that would automatically grab that PDF for me as well. I just okay. haven't gotten around to doing that. But anyhow, so it's Type a snippet, fill in a few fields, click OK, and I've and I have a complete email done. You do something similar that I do in my practice when I make a notice of appeal to mm -hmm. the Department of Veterans Affairs. I have a fax snippet set up so that when I like you, I go to the two button and I type in dot VA appeal and a pop-up box will show up and it will I have pre-programmed in it to the two field to the Board of Veterans Appeals, to the VA Intake Center. And then also it will have a RE of the veteran's name. And then it goes to, it will populate out for the date of the denial or decision, the, the veteran's social security number, et cetera. And then go down saying, dear VA, please find following the aforementioned 
forms and whatnot that need to be attached with this. And then of course, some other language. And so that just automatically pops out with me just typing in a couple of characters and then filling in the pop-up menu, the veteran social security number, his name, his email address. And then that all just populates out for me so that I don't have to reinvent the wheel, just like what you're talking about. There's a lot of practical uses for what you're talking about, especially for lawyers. Uh, tell us, what is your third? Okay. So I'm going to preface this with everything that that we've talked about today involves any sort of uh, scripting, additional coding to make it mm -hmm. work. All that stuff's been using JavaScript, so it's cross-platform. This is the one Mac-only thing that I have for you. Okay. And this is a snippet that has AppleScript in it. And when I type the my shortcut for that, it toggles my computer between light mode and dark mode. And you don't even have to have your cursor in any sort of field. Like I can just be in the finder, nothing selected, type mm -hmm. the snippet and the Apple script runs and I'm toggled if I'm in light mode and I'm in dark mode. But why would you not an Apple script? So it's an Apple script just to go from the two modes. Why would you want that? First, because it's cool to show people you can do it. But then okay. second, I, most of what I do I'm in light mode all the time. I just prefer right. the interface. But okay. if I'm working like later at night and there's just too much bright, then I'll just toggle into dark mode. So now all my menus and everything, they're dark and it's a little easier on my eyes. So I wasn't trying to insult you by saying, by asking why. I'm no, it's a legit question. question. Yeah, why I'm, trying to to I'm trying to understand the utility. So I guess that would save you from having to take your mouse, figure out where the light mode, dark mode switch is which quite frankly, couldn't even tell you where it is because I just keep my stuff in dark mode just to keep it easy on my eyes. But I can understand that. I just, again, I'm just trying to understand. And of course, I would think on a Windows device, you could use some sort of toggling in the sense of dimming your screen to a particular brightness level at later in the day, like you have it at 100% bright, but you want to just knock it to 70%, just type in the snippet, making sure that your Java is programmed accordingly. Sure. Then you'd be able to do the same thing. And so your last answer sort of bleeds into our third question, because I have a feeling that a lot of listeners are thinking, well, Mike prefers Mac over Windows and Jeff seems to be a Mac guy too. But with the exception of the last answer, all of your prior answers in our prior discussions are universal, that yes. they can be used on both Windows and Mac versions of Text Expander. And from our basic understanding, that includes also iOS and Android. So that being said, let's go directly into the Windows environment. I know you are a Mac person being the editor of the Mac Observer and part of many Mac podcasts. Well, I was the editor at the Mac Observer. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. You were the editor. I apologize. I apologize. It's okay. I, the reason I point that out is because the current managing editor, mm -hmm. he's a really good guy and he's really good at what he does. And I don't want to take away from any of the hard work that he's doing. And I wasn't trying to do that. And I respect that completely. And shout out to him. That being said... What are your three top favorite window-based shortcuts? Okay. Once again, we fall into the mundane because it's stuff that you do all the time. Fair enough. And, and the top of my list is focus assist. Okay. Because I feel like there's just so many things that are popping up and mm -hmm. happening all the time. It sometimes can feel like just trying to get work done is more like playing a video game. 
And using focus assist is a really great way to just start filtering out all of those distractions. All right. So, so that's one. Mm -hmm. Got two more idea. All right. So my next one, I will preface this with there's this thing that I came up with long ago when touch interfaces first started really being a thing on our smartphones. And I call it economy of motion. And if the more you have to do to get to whatever the thing is that you want to do, you're, you are chipping away at your economy of motion. Okay. So I went to minimize all of that. And for me, pinning to the task bar improves economy of motion. So the, the apps or documents, whatever that I need to access all the time, I just put them right in the task bar. Okay. See, and, totally and, mundane, but yeah. the number of clicks that I cut out, it's just, it's surprising how quickly that, that extra click count can add up. And I recently learned that on your finder bar on your Mac, you can actually tack applications on the bar on the finder bar itself on the top of the finder. Oh, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. You can put applications and documents and other folders in there I, too if you want. I had no idea. I literally learned this the other day. I didn't know I had the ability to do it. I know that like certain programs sometimes pop up on there, like for instance, Dropbox or what's the one I'm looking for? Default folder X will sort sure. of pop, them, pop themselves on there. I didn't know I had the ability to put my own on there until I came across something in one of my RS feeds that I was going through. But it's it's interesting how Windows and Mac are becoming a little bit more similar. Not in every aspect, some aspects. All right, so that's two. I need one more. Sticking with my theme of the mundane, but surprisingly useful, it's the window snapping organization yeah. in Windows. When you use a large monitor or mm -hmm. multiple monitors, it's so easy to have all of those different windows for documents and applications just turn into this pile. And the amount of time that you can spend just trying to find the one thing you really need. Yeah, yeah. It's stupid. And, and this is one place where I feel like Windows has nailed it down better than Mac OS, because it's really easy to take all of your windows and get them snapped where you want them. So you have a more organized desktop and you can find what you're looking for faster. Excellent. Excellent. Again, everything that you've mentioned, I think there is some sort of shortcut, if you will, on a Mac. And like you say, when you get rid of some of the mundane and just make it kind of seamless, if you will, and just happen instantaneously, it's amazing how much time you save when you get those things taken care of early on. Oh, yeah. And there's so many really cool, flashy things that you could do. And I could have picked other things. But what it really comes down to for me is... What are the things that make right. it more efficient for me, reduce the number of clicks, right, right. and just let me operate faster and with fewer distractions? And if you can give me those things, those are winning features. Well, I think then I'm going to have to have you back and we're going to talk about the flashy things that you can do with like text expander and shortcuts on Windows and shortcuts on Macs. That but sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> we we will geek out a little bit more. And I hope that the listener is learning and getting ideas. And of course, the listener is always welcome to contact me. But also, Jeff, where can people find you? It's easiest to get a hold of me like right away on social media. Okay. So 
the places that I'm most active right now, mm-hmm. Mastodon and mm-hmm. Instagram, mm-hmm. Jay Gamut on both of those. You can search other social medias, and I've probably already grabbed the Jay Gamut handle. So gotcha. you'll find me, but you may not get a response from me. And uh, then how about some shows? Please. Uh, so, I'll, be, I'll be sure to put these in the show notes too. Okay, cool. All right. So I do Mac Voices Live. That's mm-hmm. Chuck Joyner's show. Yep. And so that that's typically on Tuesday evenings. Then on Thursday evenings, I do In Touch With iOS with Dave Ginsburg. And then I am hosting a joke that I am the interim host on a couple shows on the British Tech Network. I'm assuming oh. at some point the actual original host, Ewan Rankin, will come back. And at that point, I will no longer be the interim host. But we're talking, what, like three years now of interim hosting? Anyhow, on Thursdays, I do a live show called The Big Show, and it's a general technology show. Okay. And it's like a bunch of people that just get together hang out and and talk tech. And then on Fridays, I'm interim hosting the Mac show. So it's the same thing, just focused on, on the Apple ecosystem. And, and then I'm also doing a show with my longtime friend and, and former coworker, Brian Chaffin, called The Context Machine, yeah. which is general. I mean, originally the idea was it, it was general just about technology, but it's general about whatever we're excited about in the moment. And, Fair enough. And, the, and yeah, I think that's a good list right there. Were there any others? By the way, I say I had said fair enough. Not I wasn't trying. I wasn't like diminishing your podcast. I'm like you. T- it's your podcast. You got to figure out what it is you want to do with it. And if you start off with one thing and realize actually it might be better doing this instead, then you're the driver of this. Funny you should say that because the context machine very mm-hmm. quickly the history of it. It started as a show long ago, like when podcasting was a brand new thing. And a friend of mine, Ricky Spiro, mm-hmm. was just. He has one of those voices where he could read the phone book and you would pay to listen. He would just read some news stories. And then he decided at some point, well, it should be more than that. So let's get some context in here. And as an experiment, he asked me to come on and provide my perspective on a couple of the news stories he was reading. Okay. Which very quickly evolved into, I was Ricky's co-host. And and so it was, at that point, it was all about Apple-related stuff. And then Ricky left to go on to become like a like an amazing engineer. And then it was my show. Mm-hmm. Brian came in. And so we mixed it up and it became just about the context of the news. And and then eventually when I moved on from working at Mac Observer, Explore mm-hmm. and do some new things, it went off in whatever direction it was going. After the Mac Observer was sold, Brian got to keep the show. And he called me and he says, I've got this show. Do you want to do something? And so it evolved again, and it became us talking about whatever we wanted. Cool. So do what, you, do with your show what you want. And that's what I hope that the listener will learn. And I, we've talked off mic about a program that I'm going to be teaching at through Carolyn Elfon at myshingle.com about starting your own podcast. And lawyers out there, it's a great way for you to educate other people about you and the area of law that you practice in the same sense that you get to focus on what you like to talk about. Jeff and his other various co-hosts talk a lot about the various projects and interests they have. 
So consider doing your own podcast. And I will be talking more about that on other podcasts on the techsavvyleader.page podcast. And of course, I'm sure Jeff covers that now and then on some of his podcasts. I encourage you to follow Jeff and hopefully you'll continue listening to my podcast as well. I think on that note, I want to thank you again for being on. You have a great day and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Well, thank you again for having me on. This has been so much fun and we should have done this sooner. This is yes. so much fun. It was my, that was my fault. And by the way, for the listener, Jeff and I met through David Ginsburg of In Touch with iOS on his podcast that I know that I've posted my appearances on this blog. And hopefully Dave will invite me back and hopefully maybe Jeff will invite me on one of his shows. And hopefully, regardless, the listener will continue to listen to my podcast and get into some of Jeff's podcasts as well. And you are always welcome on any show that I can sneak you into. Oh, you're very kind. And again, I want to say thank you, Jeff. And have a great day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.